0: This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball is back. I'm Grant Paulson, joined
1: by Toby Altizer. Toby, how you doing, buddy? Doing good. Good to see the Nats playing decent baseball right now, and hopefully... Recording this Thursday afternoon. Hopefully, they can finish off a series win against the Padres.
0: Yeah, we are recording this before game three, the rubber match here against San Diego. Another decent outing from Trevor Williams. You know, we talked about this on the pod last time out. He went five and two thirds and gave up three runs. It wasn't flashy, there was nothing sexy about it, but he has delivered on what they anticipated ERA of 4.3 now, about a third of the way into the season. 10 starts and 50 innings in. Uh, 31 years old, low expectations. He gives them a chance when he pitches, man. That's what I was hoping for.
1: Yeah, and that's, what I think, exactly what you were looking for with Trevor Williams. You were looking for a guy that could really eat some innings, a guy that you needed to fill in somewhere in the rotation, not necessarily be an ace, but just to give you some innings, especially after Cavalli went down. You just needed someone in the rotation that like I said, could eat innings, and then he's been a little bit more than that. He's been solid. He's given you chances in the games that he's pitched. So I've been happy with what I've seen from Trevor Williams so far. Who's hot and who's not
0: out of the shoot here really quickly. I guess we'll start on the pitching side since we just referenced the outing yesterday for Trevor Williams. I'll say that Mackenzie Gore needs to get deeper into starts. You know, the pitch efficiency has just not been there. He has not been economical. If you look at his last three starts, four and two-third innings against the Padres, five and a third against the Marlins, four innings against the Mets. Now, he's not giving up a lot of runs. His ERA is still in the mid-threes, sub-four. There's a lot of good signs. He leads the team in strikeouts. His K rate is high. But he has, on now four occasions, in five starts this month, not gotten through six innings. And, in fact, uh, he has in one, two, three three of his last five outings gone four or fewer innings. That's alarming. It's happened four times this season. His stuff's too good for that.
1: Well, and I talked with him yesterday. You'll hear that in a little later on the pod. He's really been two things that have driven the pitch count up. One is the walks, and that's a big issue. But two, even when he's got guys into a good spot, he gets them to two strikes, he can't seem to get that put-away pitch, Grant. Like, he just can't finish the guy off, whether it's not locating exactly where he wants, whether the pitch maybe isn't as sharp. Guy's just fouling pitches off, and that ends up being that he can't get to the sixth inning, can't get to the seventh inning. Because like you said, his strikeout rate's good. He's been striking a lot of guys out, and for the most part, he's been decent as a pitcher. But it's finishing guys off, and he's got to limit the walks, and I think we'll see a step forward from Mackenzie Gore then. Yeah, as
0: Toby said, he caught up with him in the clubhouse for a couple of minutes, so you'll hear – that brief interview later in the pod. Uh, we also have a feature interview today with one of the Nats prospects who's having an awesome season, catcher Drew Millis, who just got promoted from Double A AA to AAA, where he is now just a call away from the big leagues. And he's been, frankly, maybe their best offensive player statistically in the minor leagues this year, as he's now on the precipice of a major league call. Uh, otherwise, on a pitching front this week, Kudos to the tandem of Harvey and Finnegan in the bullpen. They've both, both pitched three times without giving up a run. Uh, they've combined for seven innings and nine strikeouts. You saw them both throw with C.J. Edwards, in fact, uh, Carl Edwards Jr., part of a triumvirate that threw three and a third innings to get a win against the Padres on Tuesday night. But Harvey touching 100 miles an hour, five innings and three and a third this week. Finnegan settling back in, four strikeouts and three and two-third. Even though his ERA's high this year, he's actually been pretty good. And to that point, Edwards has thrown five straight outings in the pen now without giving up a run three times this week. Uh, he's had three innings of a couple of strikeout ball and a whip at .6. So finally, they're starting to develop maybe a third option with Harvey and Finnegan settle in as they wait for Mason Thompson to get his act together.
1: Yeah, and the positive thing about not having a A-lister name as a closer, guys like Harvey and Finnegan aren't that yet. Maybe a guy like a Josh Hader on the other side. He's always going to pitch the ninth inning. It doesn't matter what part of the order, but he's pitching the ninth inning. He's a closer. He wants to get the save opportunities. Having guys like Harvey and Finnegan, guys that are a little more flexible, you can choose which one you like to be the A guy, which I think right now would be Hunter Harvey. He seems to be the top of the pecking order. But you can pitch him in the seventh. You can pitch him in the eighth. You can pitch him in the ninth. If three, four, five is coming up and that's the guys that you – Fear the most, pitch Harvey then, even if it's in the eighth inning. And I think you've seen that so far from Davey. So he's not going to name an official closer because he wants to use these guys in different roles. Lane Thomas, as we pivot over to the offensive side of the ball, has been their best
0: player this week. Eight for 20 at the plate with a couple doubles and a couple homers. He's going to be on the podcast on Tuesday uh, on the installment that we'll post Monday night for you. Um, looking forward to talking to him about what has been a banner season in an incredible may his OPS this week, 1229 number one on the team, CJ Abrams, who had a home run against his former team on game one of the series on Monday has a 1049 OPS this week, but other guys that have performed pretty well, Jamer can six for his last 20. So is Joey Manessis. That's a 300 average. Both of those guys sporting OPSs is up
1: around 800 this week. So offensively, they've done some pretty good things. Well, and with Lane Thomas, I want to point this out. He was talking about sitting on the fastball and reacting to the off-speed, and that's something that Davey had been talking with him about and something that he's been working on. So I wonder if this is a little more sustainable of a hot streak for him than what we've seen in the past. We've seen him go up and down, and when he's hot, he's hot, but then when he's not, he's really not. But I wonder if this is a little more sustainable because maybe he's found something in his approach. You just think in the game on Wednesday, even he had a breaking ball. He was early on it, but he just was able to keep his hands in and keep it fair down the left field line, ends up with a base hit. Those are the sort of things that make me think that maybe this is a little more sustainable. Not being this hot all year long, but being able to keep the down stretches from extending as long as they have at times throughout his career.
0: All right, let's get into a revisit of the Juan Soto trade with him back in town with the Padres. We saw, by the way, in game one of the series, what we're missing. Yeah, On base four times, hit a 440-foot bomb to right center like he used to do here all the time, had a three-hit performance where no one else, Tobe, had an exit velo over a 108. He had two over 113 in the game. Like, it's just a rare, unique talent. And he clearly likes Nats Park. Hopefully he's reminded of that. Yeah, exactly. In this trip back. I mean, have you seen some of that online where people are saying, hey, maybe
1: Soto will have such a great series that he realizes (laughs) maybe it's just the Nats. Maybe it's this ballpark. Yeah, I mean, even MLB Network was talking about it. Maybe there's some familiarity with Nats Park, and it helps him get out of that slump. And maybe, you know, if you're a Nats fan, he realizes, maybe I just need to come back here and hit 81 times a year and just come back to D.C. And I saw that Barry Sifraluga Uh, wrote a piece about that, and I think that's something that would be fun to think about. But, yeah, I mean, the Nationals are missing power in the lineup, and Juan Soto just showed you, look, it stinks that you had to trade him, but like you said, we're going to visit it. And it stinks right now to see a guy like Juan Soto in a Padres uniform, but then looking at the haul that you got back, it's not as bad.
0: No, it certainly isn't. So let's dive into that. I mean, Soto is a centennial talent, as Scott Boris likes to say. I mean, I, I think it goes beyond generational. I remember one time talking to Scott Boris on the phone, and I said, Soto's generational, I get it. And he said, no, 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 he's centennial. <laughs> and it was like is this term I hadn't heard that maybe he came up with, I don't know. But if you look at it, like he's having this bad year, right? Like everyone says, oh, he's so down, and what's going on with Juan Soto, too many ground balls. He is on pace for effectively, you know, 30-plus home runs, With 900 OPS. Like, that's the egregious, awful, terrible season. His OPS is higher by almost 100 points, you know, than uh, players on the Nationals, you know, and and some of their best offensive players. So he's 24. I I wouldn't quite uh, go with the, the idea or the theme that he's been bad this year. But clearly more is expected in San Diego from this superstar who has a chance to be an MVP every single season. But having said that, if, if he was leading the league in some power categories or, or slug or home runs or was the front runner for MVP, it would be more painful for the Nationals. I do think the fact that he has been largely disappointing there, that he has been a shell of what he was in D.C., that his batting average is down about 50 points as a Padre from what it was as a National. like I, I do think those things make you feel better about the trade a little bit. I mean, the numbers specifically, he hit 291 in his career in Washington, 246 so far in San Diego. On base, 43% of the time in Washington, 398 in San Diego. The Slug, 538 to 439. The OPS, 966 to 837. OPS Plus, 160 to 141. If you really dive into it, he has just not been the same guy over there as he was earlier in his career. And he's getting hotter and he's kind of turning it around right now. But I
1: do think that helps cushion the blow of the trade. Yeah, I mean, if they had gotten an MVP bat, it'd be pretty tough right now for the Nationals to look at what they got and be excited about it. But like you said, he's still a very good bat. He's still an all-star, but he hasn't been that MVP caliber that I think the San Diego Padres expected. The thing for Soto, which is odd, we saw it the last year he was here in D.C., and now we've seen it out in San Diego. He's struggling to hit the ball the other way. It's something that we were talking with Dave Jagler before the game the other day. Right now, he only has four hits to the left of center field. He's he's not hitting the ball the opposite way. And you think of his time in Washington in the World Series, he's taking guys up under the train right? track. He's got four opposite field hits. That yeah. is stunning. And it's not even all opposite field hits. I mean, literally just to the left of center. If you look at his spray chart, he's really not... Using his ability to all fields like he did here in D.C.
0: Wow! So that's something I, you're that's showing missing. me the
1: spray chart right now. It's
0: staggering. He is Deadpool hitter. He is. Like he is a shiftable. Now, luckily for him, you can't shift.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, he'd be in big trouble. But he's a Deadpool hitter right now. Well, and the odd part is, he's always been someone that I've thought Grant that pulls off the baseball. It seems like he's doing a little bit more over the last two years, and I, you know, again, we're talking. Uh, an elite hitter that needs to just fix something small before he turns into an MVP. But I think he's gotten a little comfortable with the walks. I think of a game I turn on MLB Network. It's the ninth inning, two outs. They're down by two in Boston. And he takes two cookies right down the middle. Now, he ended up walking. It's a typical Soto at bat. But you need him to do damage on those sort of things. I think a lot of Padres fans are frustrated by that. But, you know, Soto's still an elite player. He's still one of the best hitters in the game. And to think that, what's he, 24. And he's got probably the best knowledge of the strike zone in all of Major League Baseball, better than most of the umpires, better than just about any other player. And he's just gonna get continue to get better. Correct.
0: And I, I would just add, everything you just said is correct, but you know we we parse up, I think as a as a uh you know, industry, like what he isn't right now, when you look at all of the lists. At 24 or younger and accomplishments, he it's still him and Ted Williams and Jimmy Fox or, you know, him and Ted Williams and, um, you know, some first t- ballot Hall of Famer when they opened Cooperstown. You know, it's just a short group of the greatest ever in this guy. So I don't mean to run him down other than to say I just do think it's a little bit easier when you see that he's hitting 250 and is kind of middle of the pack in some power categories than it would be. If he had won the MVP award last year or something and been the World Series MVP for the Padres and they won the World Series and now he's back and and he's the best player in baseball again. Yeah, no doubt. Which hasn't necessarily happened. But more importantly, this is not, uh, you know, busting loose baseball in San Diego. The, The return for the Nationals as we watch Soto back in the ballpark. Obviously, Gore got to pitch against San Diego. Abrams is playing every day and has hit a home run in this series. I wanted to just go through how everybody's faring. So I guess we'll get out of the way that Luke Voigt was the sixth member of the deal. He played last year at first and did some DHing. He's gone. Uh, that was always kind of the plan. There was no thought that he was going to be retained. In fact, he was such a throw-in that it wasn't even supposed to be him. Yeah, it was supposed to be Hosmer. I think it was supposed to be Eric Hosmer, and he basically said, uh, no, I'm not doing that. And then Luke Voigt said, yeah, whatever, I get traded every three days. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. And so he just kind of half unbuttoned his jersey and showed off some chest hair and then went and played in D.C. and hit some bombs. But he's gone. So you have what was effectively a five-player return for Juan Soto. Uh, We'll start with Mackenzie Gore. We talked about pitch efficiency, being more economical, some of the things right now that are ailing him. But the bottom line is he is the highest upside pitcher they have in the big leagues. Probably the highest upside pitcher they have in the organization at this moment. That would change if they draft Paul Skeens out of LSU at number two overall. But while I'm not sure if he'll end up being an ace, he has legitimate number one credentials and upside. He looks like what I I call a front end starter. When you hear the front end starter label, it means number one or number two, right? It's It's a guy that's above the middle of the rotation. 63 strikeouts leading the team. High strikeout rate. A 380 ERA in his first full season here. like You would take all of that sight unseen. Oh, by the way, the stuff's remarkable. He touched 99 against San Diego the other night. I thought he was overthrown and probably, probably wanted it a little bit too much to, to show them what they don't have. But he's 97 from the left side with nasty secondary stuff. This is what a number one or a number two looks like. It's a great starting point for this return. And I think if you're an X fan, you've got to be very excited about him, even based on some of the walks and the lack of efficiency. He is a building block in the rotation. Put it in Sharpie. We we now know. If he stays healthy, he will pitch every five days and be an integral piece to a first-division championship-caliber team.
1: i got to be honest, Grant. When I saw this trade was going to happen— and I first saw who all was in the deal, I honestly would have been fine with the other guys and not including Gore. I honestly would have been fine if it were just the other guys and you didn't include Gore. Then you included Gore, and this isn't just your regular pitching prospect. This isn't like Josiah Gray, not to take down on Josiah Gray, but Josiah Gray was a top 100 prospect, but he was a good pitcher, not a great pitcher. Mackenzie Gore was the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball at one point. This is a guy that, like you said, has front of the rotation type stuff. You saw it against San Diego at points. You've seen it throughout the season where he can just blow guys away with the fastball. I mean, just talk about the guy that he got traded for, Juan Soto. There's not many guys to get Soto to strike out in pitches that are in the other batter's box, and he did it. Now, Soto also singled off of him as well, so those are some of the ups and downs of a young pitcher. But I think you got a really good arm in Mackenzie Gore that I think could be— Either the ace or the number two of this staff going forward, C.J. Abrams looks like the everyday shortstop
0: for the Nationals for years to come. At this point, it would be stunning if he wasn't, because even while I have my questions about his star power potential, whether he's going to turn into you know an annual All Star or even a you know when they I think when he was drafted in the top five, uh, when the Padres had him flying through the system as one of the best prospects in baseball maybe even at the moment of Washington acquiring him after he had been like a 21-year-old major leaguer at the time or maybe even you know, 20. I don't know when he uh, debuted in terms of age. He's only 22 now. But I, I thought this guy could be a superstar. I'm not sure I still feel that. And and it's not like I, I don't like the player. I love the player. I'm just not sure. He, he's a very uh, kind of skinny frame I don't think he's going to be like a, a 25 homer bat. It's hard to be a superstar hitting 18 to 20 home runs. That said, if you steal 60 bases or something like that, you could absolutely be that guy. I think he could be like a, a, a Trey Turner light, maybe. You know, maybe it's 20 home runs, 20 steals, and plus defense at short. And by the way, if you do that, you're a perennial all-star. And you, I mean, you're a championship piece. Like, that's a... Excellent player, and I still think that's very possible. I just I'm not sure that this guy, like Trey Turner at his apex, we saw it at the World Baseball Classic. I know he's not playing this way this year, but he's been a top five MVP type guy. I don't know that Abrams has that. I don't think he gets close to 30 home runs. What's crazy is that even though he's only got the five homers, about 155 ABs, his bombs are bombs. Yes, yeah. like that makes you think. Well, maybe he could hit a lot of home runs. He's hit. You know, 430, 440-foot homers, and second deck seems to be where he visits all the time. The the Kyle Schwerber, Adam Dunn, uh, Adam LaRoche, like, territory of Nats Park, right? Where Harper used to go, and Soto. So, like, he's got raw, for sure. He's got big-time pop. I don't know if he gets to it a ton, but I still think, if you're just looking at what they got, he makes a lot of errors right now. I'm not worried about that. Exceptional range going to be a well-above-average defensive player in terms of ground-covered at shortstop, unbelievably athletic and has speed and should steal bases. And, like, for for all of the flaws this year as a 22-year-old, he's on pace for 16 homers and 19 steals. Like, that's a, that's a good player. And he's 20-frickin'-2. Mm-hmm. He was the eighth-youngest player in the majors this year. So not everyone is Soto. And just at 21 years old, like, leads you to a World Series – there's a lot left in the tank here, man. He could be really, really
1: good. He's very toolsy, very toolsy. You think of him at shortstop. Some of the throws are a little bit off, but the balls that he gets to, man, you don't see a whole lot of shortstops getting to balls on the other side of second base like he does. He He's covering a lot of field on pop flies out behind third base, and he's getting to the foul line easily on fly balls that a lot of shortstops just cannot get to. So he shows you a lot of potential, and I think it's important to remember we throw a lot of the young guys into the same basket. Josiah Gray, Cabert Ruiz, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams. I think it's also important to remember what we're seeing from Josiah Gray this year, what we're seeing from Cabert Ruiz this year, is essentially what these guys will have next year, talking about Gore and Abrams. They've had a year in the bigs, they've had their time now, and now they're established major leaguers that are taking that next step. I think what we're if we try to put that same expectation on Mackenzie Gore and CJ Abrams, it's a little unfair because I've laid this out before, you don't always get Harpers and Sotos that come to the majors and they're just ready to go and they can already turn into a star. Sometimes you have to get to the major league level, learn how to be a major leaguer, and then you can really let your potential show. And you're seeing that with C.J. Abrams. I think he's going to continue to get more comfortable as the season goes on. And the thing that's been most encouraging for me with C.J., is in some big spots, he's really come through. You'd like to see him better in some first and second inning abs. You'd like to see him better throughout the game and limit some of the errors. But he hits a grand slam against the Mets when they're down by three. That's he, a great he, point. He's come up with some game-winning RBI. So it doesn't seem like the moments are too big for him, even though he's 22. And I think he's just going to continue to grow in his time as a major leaguer and become a better player and reach that potential. Yeah, he was... At the plate, they're down 3 nothing. middle innings
0: against San Diego on Monday night. Two-run homer right back in the game, and I think it was one or two pitches later. Lane Train, Lane Thomas, hits a solo shot to tie the game. Uh, those are the two guys in the majors. There are three now in the minors. One of whom is James Wood. By the way, there's a great story in the Washington Post today, as we tape on Wednesday, uh, from Jesse Doherty about James Wood. Basically, it's just about how big he is and how he deals with that. It's very, very rare that a player his size ends up being a star or someone you can like build a team around. Because normally, if you're that big, you're a pitcher. He's six foot six plus almost six foot seven but beyond that uh, as a hitter you have long arms and levers and you major holes in your swing and lots of strikeouts uh there's some great anecdotes in the story about James Wood getting to meet Aaron judge and and uh, John Carlos Stanton who are six eight and six six respectively two of his favorite players ever when he was in high school he actually played for Manny Upton uh BJ and Justin Upton's dad uh, here in the DC area at St. John's College High School at one point in time as a basketball star and a baseball star. But he and his dad went to Camden Yards when Justin Upton's Angels were in town and went on the field with passes, and, and Judge came over and said, oh, you're, you're going to play ba- basketball or football? And he's like, no, I want to be an outfielder. And Aaron Judge like was like, wow. And he, he brought him past the rope and talked to him for like 10, 12 minutes. It was a really, really cool story um, about when he got to meet his, his idol. But uh, look, he's only 20. He is playing at a notoriously pitcher-friendly ballpark. We talked about this on the pod last week. Like Wilmington, the anecdote we passed along from, if you missed it, I think it was from one of the guys at Baseball America. But like the the famous thing people say about Wilmington is when they had a home run derby there a few years ago, instead of hitting from home plate to the seats, they recreated a home plate in the outfield and hit into the seats behind home plate because it's too hard to hit home runs to have a home run (laughs) derby there. And I tell you that only to say he's got a 920 OPS and a 285 average with six homers and six steals and about 140 at-bats. Holding his own in A-plus ball, having just turned 20. This is his, kind of his age uh, 19 start to the year, if you will. He's almost ready for a double-A call-up, right? That's going to happen probably at midseason as a 20-year-old, which is pretty unheard of. And at 6'6", there aren't holes in the swings. He is cut down on the strikeout rate sizably over the last year and a half, and he's getting to the power. It's a lot of doubles and triples. When I talk to people in the Nats, Oregon, I have recently about him, what they are excited about is the quality of their bat. So it's not even really the stuff we see in the box score as much as the Soto-ish kind of spitting on pitches, having an idea, taking pitches, IDing breaking balls, stuff that as a, a young dude is hard to do. Uh, He's doing all of that and at a level right now, again, at 20 years old in A-plus ball, where to have a 920 ops and six home runs and be hitting about 290, and by the way, he had three hits, was on base four times, and hit a homer on Tuesday night yesterday. It's really encouraging. He has climbed to, I think, number three in in all of baseball, according to Baseball Prospectus's prospect rankings, number eight in MLB Pipeline, and Baseball America's got him somewhere, I think, in the top 10 or 12
1: now as well. It's one of the best in the minors, man. Third player, so to speak, in this deal. Yeah, two things I want to point out. You mentioned that he was a basketball player. I like that for a background for a guy that's going to be playing in the outfield, a guy that's 6'6", 240, a bigger guy. That means he's going to be a fluid athlete. He can go track down balls in the outfield very easily. You've seen him at times just track down balls that it doesn't even look like he's running he's just cruising along, gets the balls that other guys can't get to just because of that 6'6 frame. He's going to be athletic on the base pass. And you like that, just out of a 6'6 guy, 240, that could play basketball, that means he can do everything. He's going to be fluid, so that excites me. And then number two, you think 6'6, 240, you think of the frame, hitting from the left side, it reminds me a little bit of O'Neal Cruz with the Pirates. And I was at a game in Milwaukee where O'Neal Cruz hit every ball, I think, above 110 off the bat, every single ball. And they don't look like they're swinging hard. Think about Aaron Judge. It doesn't look like he's trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but it just explodes off the bat because of the long levers. What's exciting about James Wood is the fact that he puts together quality ABs. He doesn't have holes in his swing. The power is going to come naturally because he's so tall and big that he doesn't have to swing for the fences. It's going to come naturally. So if he's got an all-put-together swing and then he can add into that the fluidity of his athleticism coming as a basketball player – He's a five-tool guy that has all the potentials of a future superstar in this sport.
0: Yeah, totally agree. You just said two really smart things that uh, were referenced in the post story that I, that I just uh, read not long ago. Number one, you mentioned it doesn't look like he's running. He's been dinged for not hustling by scouts and stuff. <laughs> like Literally, that was a knock on him before the draft was he doesn't hustle. And And it took his agent and his coach to say, get out your stopwatches. Like, you're taking notes and dinging him based on your eyes saying he's just jogging. He's not. Like, time it. And they would time it, and they'd go, holy bleep. Like, that's fast. Yeah. It doesn't look fast. I was at Fredericksburg for his first game after the trade last year. And maybe it was the second game. I don't remember. But I think it was certainly within the first couple of days after the deal. And he had a double. I think it was like 11 strides or some crazy number. You know how people do like the how many be- dribbles for um, Giannis to get from end to end? Yeah. It was like that kind of bit where it was like, I'd have to look at the video, but it was like 11 strides from like home plate to second base or something crazy. <laughs> and it does. It looks like he is just kind of lollygagging and he's flying. Uh, another story from the, the, the post piece, to your point, about you love the the basketball ability to the range you know the running i think he's he is a, has a chance to be a tremendous center fielder at his size which is crazy but he was told by the director of player development of the nationals one day in fredericksburg to stop shagging because other guys needed to get work in <laughs> so like he was going from you know left field right field like running and like power what they call power shagging like really trying to make catches and kind of show off and it was right after the trade and they came out and they're like, hey, man, guys got to get work in. Like, you don't need to go so hard. To your point, like, that's what we're talking about. O'Neill Cruz is a guy he brought up as someone he loves to watch. There's another guy people don't really know yet named Ellie De La Cruz who plays in the Royal system. Excuse me, the Red system. And he's, Ellie De La Cruz is not as big as uh, the other Cruz, O'Neill Cruz, who's like 6'7", no relation. Ellie, I think, is only like 6'5". Or 6'6". Six, six. But those guys are shortstops. And like, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't be a shortstop at yeah, that size. Exactly. And now you can if you are as athletic as those guys. James Wood shouldn't probably uh have the ability to get to pitches that he does or to play center field. Now you can. Like now we the laboratory is building this model. It wasn't yeah. before. And it's it really is crazy that that they have kind of a unicorn type that you can dream on. And look, he's a prospect. It may not work out. We get it. But it's not like he's just some random dude and we'll see what happens. I mean, he is special. He checks every box. He's one of the top five or ten in the game. It's very rare that those guys you know, completely bust. I mean, the Nats, unfortunately, have one of the examples in Victor Robles, who was like a, a tremendous high-level blue-chip prospect, and it hasn't turned out uh, to, to be a win for them. But that's really rare at that level. It's extremely common that good minor leaguers don't become good major leaguers. But everyone just puts prospects in the same bucket. Like, oh, he's a prospect. Well, there's a difference between, like, the dude who's viewed as special and everybody else. Um, All right, so that's the third member of the deal. Keeping it moving here with the other guys that are in the minor leagues in this uh, Juan Soto return on busting loose baseball. He's Toby, I'm Grant. Robert Hassel. And we're starting to get some decent results from Robert Hassel post coming back from injury believe he had a hamate uh, bone uh, break that he was dealing with. Um, he rehabbed at the start of the year. Sometimes power is the last thing to come back, and he's not hitting for power right now, so that's kind of the one concern I would manage to register, if you will. Uh, that said, he is in double-A right now. Okay, This is a former top-10 pick. He's 21 years old, so he's young for the level, and I think he could honestly play at the major league level for a cup of coffee in September if they want him to. But in about 20 games at double A, he's hitting 320 with an 842 OPS. He's getting on base. He's getting hits. He's starting to hit a lot of doubles. Like, this is all extremely encouraging. He's a career 285 minor league hitter. And he was viewed for what it's worth as like the safest of the players in this deal a, a 280, 20 homer, 20 steal type left fielder in the big leagues who uh, you don't have to worry a lot about. Maybe he doesn't end up being as good ultimately as say a James Wood or an Elijah Green. He's not going to be a an All Star every year type, but he's going to be a very serviceable major leaguer. You know, kind of like what Lane Thomas has been this year, maybe for you year in and year out, and uh, and he's starting to look like it now as he gets further away from the injury. So you know if we're looking at player number four here, Robert Hassel,
1: it's a 320 average and an 840 OPS in Double A right now, not well, too shabby. And that's credit to Mike Rizzo on this. You get a safe guy in this deal. We're going to talk about someone next that I want to get into. But you get a safe guy in the deal. Mackenzie Gore was a former top pitching prospect. I think you would say that that's relatively safe. Same thing with C.J. Abrams. Even if these guys don't reach their potential – Gore's middle rotation guy at worst, right? C.J. Abrams could be your everyday shortstop, even if it just means he's batting in the 8 or 9 hole. Same thing with Hassel. Maybe he doesn't turn out to be a superstar that's batting third for a World Series team, but he can be someone that can help you at the bottom of the order. He can be someone that you can plug in every day and is going to help your ball club out. I think you've got safe guys, and you add that in with a guy like a, a James Wood and then the guy we're going to get into next, Susana, that have sky-high ceilings, and that's how you get back the equivalent in a Soto deal. You're never going to get Juan Soto back in a Juan Soto deal. You know, that, that that's just the reality of it. But if you get some safe guys and then you take a swing on a guy like a James Wood and a Jarlin Susana, that's the kind of way that you can win back on a Soto deal because if those guys hit their potential, we're going to look back, all we traded with Soto to get those that guy? You know, that's, that's the kind of way that you win those trades. Well,
0: somebody, it was just somebody on Twitter actually tweeted me this and I thought it was so... Um... Sharp and, and just brilliant in its simplicity. Um, it was a, I, I tweeted just a recap, you know, during this Padres trade of of the Hall that they got back for Soto, and he said something along the lines of, "You don't rebuild by getting better current talent. You rebuild by adding more depth, or something like that." And it's just so true. Like the the point was not you weren't trading Soto to get a better player in the moment. Or frankly, probably even a better player ultimately. Like, they don't really exist. And they're certainly not available if they do. Like, no one's trading that guy. You're trying to trade one great player and get as many good ones as possible. And in this case, that works with your window. Like, you were going to stink with Juan Soto or without Juan Soto. In a couple years, hopefully you don't stink if you get enough good players. And, And it looks like they've maybe pulled that off. Uh, real quick, on the last guy you mentioned, Arlene Susana, uh, who I've seen live a couple of times now and always make sure to wa- watch on uh, Milb.TV. Let me get a cough out here, Tobe. I got to get a cough out. <coughs> All right. That's going to help us moving forward, I think. We're rolling now. Yeah. Now now we're cooking with grease. Uh, Susana, I've had a cough for like a month, basically. <laughs> Like, when Lane Thomas got hot, I got my cough,
1: and it just—the damn thing won't so you go need away. So you need to tell him when he's on the pod to slow it down a little exactly. bit just to get rid of the—get well, healthy I, again. Well, you
0: know what? Honestly, I, this will be my burden, my sacrifice. <laughs> if he's going you know, to steer across the cross bear. If he has an, a 1,000 OPS as long as I have a cough, <laughs> I think I'll sign up for that. As long as I don't turn into, like, the—who uh, was it? Bo Jackson has had the hiccups. Yeah, I couldn't deal like with that. A year and yeah. a half. I, th- I think I would just— I don't know. I don't even I, want to say what I would do. I mean, you're a radio guy, so how the heck are you going to do it if you had hiccups all the time? How, I'm more worried about sleeping. <laughs> yeah. like, that would be so damn annoying. I yes. saw that story. He's had hiccups for a year and a half. I don't know how you do it. Freaking absurd. I couldn't live. Uh, but Susana, I saw him touch 103 several times in his first start. He has brought the velo down a little bit. We talked about him on the last pod. We don't need to get into too much detail. Uh, if you want a deeper dive into the minors, go listen to uh, the installment from earlier in the week. But Susana's 19. He just turned 19. He's made seven starts. His ERA is still a little over four, which you know, you're know you not dominating if your ERA is over four, obviously. But it's a pretty easy case to crack here as a detective. He's walking too many guys. He sprays the ball. And it's an alarmingly high walk rate, 19 walks and in 23 innings. Like that is a non-starter. If that happens as you get older and... and you know, develop that that's just going to keep you from being a really good pitcher, obviously. But when you're his age and you're throwing 100 and you're spraying the ball, like theoretically, you can develop and harness that. And that's what they're trying to do. The good news is the guy is unhittable. I mean, his stuff is so damn good. Fastball slider. he I, I saw a really nasty plus change up one of the nights I was in Fredericksburg that he doesn't throw very often. Uh, it's probably wildly inconsistent. But he showed that he had it right, and now you just got to get it, get to that level of that pitch more often. But in 23 innings, 30 strikeouts. So quick math, what close to 12 strikeouts per nine? A 185 average against for him. This is member five in air quotes here of the deal in the order we're going in, just based on how close they are to being able to help in the majors. 11.6 per nine strikeout rate, 185 average against an A ball. Throwing 100 miles an hour is one of the the guys with the most electric stuff in your system and and unequivocally a top three or four pitching prospect in your system at worst. I would say maybe top two. Like, come on. I mean, that... that, So so the return is Gore in the big leagues, maybe your best pitcher. Abrams in the big leagues, your everyday shortstop. Two building blocks who are going to be here for years. Wood, one of the best prospects in the game. Hassel, who will be in the show playing every day at some point next year. Susana high risk, high reward, but a potential lights out late inning arm or starter throwing 96 miles, 97, 98 miles an hour. How could people look at this now and still say that the Soto trade was a bad idea? If if your issue, like I get callers all the time on the show, is Max, Trey, Soto, Rendon, Bryce were all here and they all left and none of them stayed and, and now I've got freaking Eldemar Vargas. I get it. The, the, that, in in totality, is criminal. Like, that is awful. All of those guys were here. None of them still are. Horrendous. But the Soto deal itself, that was the last guy, if you're working back like I am, from the fact that he was never going to re-sign before the market, that he was going to go to free agency, then they had to trade him as soon as possible. And the haul they got back so far is a win. Like, right now, this second, would Mike Rizzo redo that trade? No way. Uh, He he would take the side with all the Nationals guys, not the Soto player coming back, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like I laid out before, Gore, I think, is safe. I think his ceiling is being the ace of the staff going forward, so you get excited about that. Like you mentioned with Abrams, everyday shortstop. Maybe he's just this player going forward, but even so, if he's just this player and he's your eight- or nine-hole hitter, you still have an everyday shortstop. Hassel, very safe player that's going to come up and help you in, in the outfield. And then you got James Wood, who has MVP type potential? I think that's, you know, beginning a little bit far in the future, but a five tool guy that's six foot six, six foot seven, and can hit bombs and can run all over the place, why not? Why can't he reach that kind of potential? And then with Susana, you got a guy that's 19 years old that takes a little bit off and throws 99 (laughs) like I'll take my chances with those guys and see what happens I think that they have the potential to make it so that that Soto trade really reshapes the future of this Nationals ball club because frankly if you don't do that deal you still have Soto but the rest of the team looks a little bit bleak you're you're building around Josiah Gray which Gray's been solid this year but what other pitchers do you have to go with that Cavalli sure but you're taking away a couple of guys that are making this rebuild for the Nationals so exciting so I think they did a really good job of maximizing the return on that Soto deal and you're dead on if Rizzo had to give all those guys back right now for Juan Soto he wouldn't do it that is a
0: quick breakdown for you as Soto's back in town of the return for him that the Nationals got